We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. With seven seconds to go. He missed it. Loose ball. Bridges has it. They got to go. It's Payne. Johnson for the win. Cam Johnson with a stunner at the buzzer. Leaving the next shot. Welcome to the Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how you doing? You know what, Mike? I'm doing really, really well, given that the Suns lost today. Um, we're recording immediately following what I would call one of the most riveting games of basketball I've watched all season, <laughs> honestly, yeah. for, for the Suns, for any team. Um, and just for a team that's only lost now 13 games this year, I know we don't do moral victories around here, but... It was a really fun game of basketball to watch with way more positives to take away from it than negatives. What do you right. think? Well, I, I would say that you're right in that we don't do moral victories, but I think when you get to the point where there's no Chris Paul, no Devin Booker, and no Cameron Johnson, who has essentially been the best player on the Suns since Chris Paul went out outside of Devin Booker, I'd say we're in moral victory territory. <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> I think we you're be. at a point where it's like, all right, well, if we win, then that's awesome. And uh, if we lose, but they do well against a good team, then that's actually a surprise. I think heading into this game, I was terrified of a, a blowout on national TV that I was going to have to sit through early in the day. Like er, I've talked to you about this before, Sam, but early games are fun if the Suns win. But if they lose, then you're just sort of sitting there the rest of the day thinking about that loss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it kind of sucks. Uh, so I was a little worried about a brutal game that we were going to have to watch in order to record this. And it ended up being a fun game where I think the Suns should have won probably. Um, but in, they lost in a way where there were some incredibly difficult shots hit by Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday in the fourth quarter that sort of sealed it for the Bucks. And it's hard to get mad about that because the Suns really normally have guys that can match those difficult shots in Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and even Cameron Johnson of late, and they didn't have him this time, so it resulted in the Bucks win. So it's hard to, it's hard to be mad. I, I don't know. 
it I'll be honest, watching the last few minutes, yeah, maybe I was a little mad. Afterwards There were th- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not not as much. There were little things I wouldn't say mad. I wasn't mad at any point in the game. It's just the fact that through three quarters, they were still right there, and I wanted it so bad. Like, I I expected they played a great first half, and I just thought to myself, all right, they they can't keep this up forever. The third quarter is where Milwaukee takes over. When Milwaukee didn't take over in the third quarter, I wanted it so bad. And so (laughs) there there were a few minutes where I wasn't mad, but I did roll my eyes at some stuff. That's really yeah. what it was. Um, I will yeah. apologize. A few people have called me out for this. I think at one point during the game, not I think, because I know I did this. At one point during the game, I tweeted that Aaron Holiday was in a in a clear-cut fashion outplaying his older brother, which at the time he was. <laughs> and then Drew sort of took over down the stretch. Chris Middleton, obviously, main storyline for Milwaukee with 44 points. But Drew hit big shots. One point in the fourth quarter, hit back-to-back, step-back threes. And at yeah. that point, what the fuck can you do? Mm-hmm. Um do you want to start offense or defense here? Because I think there's a lot to cover on both ends, honestly. Well, you know what? I want to talk about the Knicks game because we haven't okay. been able to. Okay. Can we just briefly touch no, on that? No, we can. We can. We can absolutely touch on the most fun basketball game of the entire season for the I Suns, mean, which we on. just happened to not happen to not get to so far because hey, this was a fun weekend to be a Suns fan, I think. I, I think they really showed a lot on both nights. But uh, I, what, what it's a long season. Look, one? it's first of all, it's a long season, right? 82 games is a long season. First time we're doing 82 games in a few years and we'll be covering all 82 games. And this season we've had the normal stretch, right? They they lost a few games and then they come out hot. Everyone's healthy. They're killing everyone. Frank Kaminsky has a week where he's the best player on the Suns and we get to talk about Frank Kaminsky for a while. Uh, Jalen Smith has a week where he's really good on the Suns, and we get to talk about Jalen Smith for a while. Biombo comes in, and the Suns stop losing games that Biombo plays. We get to talk about Biombo for a while. But this stretch by Cameron Johnson felt more like a star being born than any of that because the ability that he has to scale his offense from the small amount of minutes and arguably the small amount of opportunities he's been given compared to a star to what he's done in the last six games, the Suns are three and three. He played five of those games. What he's done in that time is average star numbers, like legitimate star numbers, 23.4 points per game on, this is insane, 11.6 field goal attempts Mm -hmm. per game. And in that time, 60% 60% from the field, 58.5% from three, 95.8% from the free throw line uh, in yeah. five games. An absurd stretch of games by Cameron Johnson. And then, of course, hitting that game winner in a game where he was the main character throughout, starting with a potential injury to start the game. Just one of the most fun things that I've seen from this team so far this season, which is a surprise considering it's without their two best players by the way quite a few people on twitter because i shared this saw our reaction to that shot (laughs) yeah if you're not on twitter it's fine if you didn't see that reaction but i mean i'm so glad we were able to capture that reaction we did a playback stream on friday and so here's your plug for the week we'll be continuing to do playback streams uh this friday night and the following friday night for patrons but i was so glad that we were able to clip that specific reaction because (laughs) <laughs> you said it best you said it best during it like we're gonna remember that for 40 years we're gonna remember that shot forever mm-hmm. 
as Suns yeah. fans. It's just, it was one of the purest moments of joy that I can remember. And it, it really, so much of it stems from the lack of expectations going into games like these. You're down 12 in a fourth quarter like that against the Knicks, and you're thinking, yeah. you know, that this we don't have Chris Paul, we don't have Devin Booker, and we just right. can't we just can't count on the level of offensive production out of these other guys. It's yeah. okay to, you know, this is where they're going to lie down, and we're going to have to hold an L. And for Cam to come back like that didn't force anything, but had, like, the most Clay Thompson-esque performance of his career easily, <laughs> just hitting three after three after three. Yeah, uh, standstill threes, obviously catch and shoot, but also uh, off movement catch and shoots that were much more difficult. Uh, we've seen him not just in the Knicks game, but in other games recently experiment with more uh, difficult off the dribble threes. He's hit some nice step backs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the game before that against Portland, he had a really nice step back in that game as well. Uh, T's been so good. You you mentioned the 23 points per game. He also has three assists per game in those last five games to only point yeah. six turnovers. It's continuing. Yeah. A trend right. that I've talked about, the the playmaking, I think, is really one of the biggest things that you can look at with this guy uh, to give you the confidence of believing that he's not just, uh, you know, an average type starter who scrapes 15 points per game, but that there actually is, you know, maybe I would say for the first time, 20 point per game potential yeah. here. I still... I, the ceiling has been raised, I this, think. I, right? I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. I think the ceiling has absolutely been raised with Cam. You know, I still struggle... There are things that he just doesn't have in his bag that you need to have if you want to be like the consistent 20 plus points, five plus assists kind of play initiator who I kind of envision as, you know, like right, the, second, right, right. the second best player on a team. I yeah. still don't see that in Cam and he's 26 years old. He just turned 26. Um, but being like a close to 20 point per game, high, high, high level starter who just doesn't make mistakes on either end of the floor. That's mm-hmm. definitely I mean, we're right there. We're right there. It really feels like that could be who this guy is for the four or five year peak of his career, honestly. Yeah, I I agree. And I think we've gotten to the point with Cameron Johnson this season where it feels like the difference in the playoffs this year, the difference in all the way potentially to the NBA finals, if this team stays healthy, the difference might be Cameron Johnson at this point. It might be that one extra guy stepping up and being able to score from legitimately from three levels not doesn't take a lot of mid-range shots because he doesn't have to when you shoot that well from the three-point line those should be threes and also his ability to attack off the dribble we've talked about it many times now but the passes that he's making under the rim have been incredibly nice even a few out to the three-point line on some of the drives he's making attacking the basket getting to the free throw line i mean this is the type of thing that you need 4.8 free throw attempts per game in that time this is why he's so efficient 11 shots 23 points that's absurd that's absurd that's an absurd true shooting percentage (laughs) by cameron johnson and then you know the balls to shoot that final shot the way that he did and like the whole time running down the court the Suns secured the rebound shout out to Mikael Bridges by the way for getting that rebound and then lining up around Cameron Payne to give him that line of sight on that pass and then to recognize that he had the time and the space to take an extra dribble before shooting that shot everything about it was picture perfect other than it being a bank shot, but when it when it's going your way, it's going your way at times. That's another way of saying it was a Clay Thompson esque performance. 
it was like that. It almost even in some weird way because it was a national TV game reminded me of like a Steph Curry type performance. Like when Steph hit that game winner against OKC where it's just like, what what do you do against this guy when they're making every single shot? And then all of a sudden the ball's in his hands. No timeout because the Suns had no timeouts. Uh, All of a sudden the ball's in his hands to to win the game and he he won it. It was just an incredible, an incredible time. And one of the most fun Suns games in, in a long time. Speaking of Steph Curry, actually, or or players within the realm of a Steph Curry comparison, because obviously we're not, I know you're not making a one-to-one comparison there between right. Cam Johnson and Steph Curry, but um, did you see the graphic also that said the only two players, Cam joined uh, Damian Lillard as the only other player to hit nine threes, at least nine threes in a game, and have a game-winning buzzer beater or game-winning <laughs> shot, I think it was. Um, so yeah, just to be in the modern era, have a performance like that with Dame time as your only competition, so to speak, we said at the time, a career defining moment for this guy and a game that I think we might be able to look back on five years from now. Hopefully Cam Johnson, by the way, is still a son five years from now. I think that needs to be said because unfortunately the future is so up in the air, but Mm -hmm. I would love to look back five years from now and be able to clearly say that that was the game that we all remember when yeah. it all changed. That was the yeah. we had seen the flashes before then. We had seen the way he played with poise through the playoffs, the stellar moments, the dunk on PJ. You know, he's had career highlights before, but like his career high up until this point was 24. And then he comes out in this game when they need him most with 38. I would love to be able to point back to it and say that was the inflection point. That's when everything changed for Cameron Johnson. Yep, I agree. And it's going to be interesting to see what Monty does when this team is fully healthy again. I think that Jay Crowder is going to start again, even in that game where he had his best game of his career. He came off the bench. You know, I think we can know that Jay Crowder is going to start there. But the question is, without starting, how does he find the minutes that Cameron Johnson so clearly has earned and so clearly deserves at this point? And I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch for the rest of the season once they are fully healthy. Cameron Johnson missed, by the way, if you missed it, he missed the Bucks game due to a knee in the thigh that he took from Mitchell Robinson, which happened immediately after he came back after taking a shoulder to the sternum. So getting beat up out there yeah. as well. And, uh, you know, that knee to the thigh, it's not, you know, first of all, that really hurts and it's probably difficult to walk today, but that's not an injury that's going to keep him out too, too long, maybe a few games at the most. And uh, it'll be so. nice to see him coming back. Yeah, I hope so. I don't know if you felt this same way. Like I've never, we've poked fun at Julius Randle before as a player, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's like, on the list now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, but I've never, that's the thing though. I've never personally <laughs> had an issue yeah. with Julius Randle other than thinking he's a little lazy. <laughs> As a player, but that's not right. the end. That's not the end of the world. I don't hate the guy. I just kind of thought, you know, maybe he wasn't worthy of his contract. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything to to speak about him personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this game changed things. No, this game changed yeah. things. He's on the list. Now. He's on yeah. the list. Yep. He's the Suns' enemy. He's an enemy I think of this is. team now. <laughs> There's no way to really mince words on that because it is what it is at this point. Not only did he drop a shoulder into. Cameron Johnson after traveling and not get called for anything and Cameron Johnson left uh then of course he got ejected after shoving Cameron Johnson by the way I was desperate to figure out what Cameron Johnson said to him uh, yeah I don't know I watched it over and over again I don't I think anyone figure it out I don't think anyone ever said 
Yeah, I couldn't figure it out. I bet it was insane, uh, extremely inflammatory, I imagine. And I would just love to hear that because Cameron Johnson is such a nice guy. So I'd be curious to learn that. But then after the game, they asked Cameron Johnson about that. And he said, first of all, Cameron Johnson, very open. When you ask him a question, he's going to tell you exactly what he thinks. It's not, there's, there's nothing to it as far as like this, like PR, like PR speak or whatever. Like he well, doesn't do that. He just kind of gives. Yeah. He's media trains though. Right. Like he knows. Cause he even said in the quote that you're about to, so I'll let you, I'll let you get to it. But he even said um, that he didn't want to get in trouble. But yeah, he is, yeah, of he, course, he is. Right. He, so he's filtering his message a little bit, right, but, right, right. But he's, he's not still, Russell Westbrook, is what you're saying, right? Right. But he's not hiding anything. So he's I, not going to get fined. I but here's what I mean by that's that. I think is he said he didn't like what Julius Randle did, and then multiple multiple times said it hurt what Julius Randle did. It hurt, and I think I love Cameron Johnson. Of course, everyone who follows this Suns team is going to love Cameron Johnson. But admitting in a post game interview after the best game of your career that some other player hurt you, I think shows like a level of vulnerability. That's just kind of fascinating from an NBA player just to say that hurt and what he did hurt. But not only that, Cameron Johnson also talked about a moment that happened when the Suns played the Knicks in New York city where Julius Randall just kind of tackled Cameron Johnson truthfully Mm -hmm. from behind on a rebound or really from the side, I guess in a way that was completely unnecessary and another uh, physical moment for Cameron Johnson with Julius Randle, just implying that there was already some sort of history there at the very least on Cameron Johnson's side. I'm not sure that Julius Randle feels a certain way about Cameron Johnson. Maybe he does. I have no idea. Yeah, Uh, But there was clearly, in Cameron Johnson's mind, there was clearly some sort of history there. First of all, to what you were talking about with Cam and his vulnerability, Cam Johnson, certainly an emotionally intelligent, young man i think he's he's very much uh uh of his generation you could say but i'm just i'm looking at the weight uh differences here cam is listed at 210 pounds julius randall's listed at 250 pounds it's gonna hurt yeah (laughs) Yeah. 40 pound difference is gonna hurt yeah this is this is the downside of being a wing who has the short end of the stick being, you know, because we talk all the time about how the three and the four are interchangeable these days. Well, sometimes that's not true because sometimes you're playing a team that actually plays a traditional three and a traditional four. And in that case, you'd much rather be the three who gets to match up on a guy of your size than you would be the four who has to try and handle a guy 50 pounds greater or larger than you. And so Cam getting the short end of the stick in those situations compared to, say, his twin Mikhail Bridges, who typically doesn't have to deal with that, at least not as often. Um, yeah, if, and you, that's an interesting thing to talk about when it comes to the Bucks too, which I think well, we'll get to in a second. But in yes. a bit. If there's another storyline from this Knicks game, though, that we need to cover before we get to the Bucks, plenty to say yeah. about the Bucks. Yeah, uh, it's Cameron Payne. Yes, thank you. Yep. It's well, not just this. It's not just this game. It's just these last few games that he has now played. The difference that Cameron Payne has made for this team immediately coming back has been so just so obvious like it's just so present when you watch the suns the the ability to get beyond the first line of the defense and to make the right passes you know Cameron Payne is of course of course no Chris Paul and i think he, that is also obvious when anyone plays point guard instead of Chris Paul that nobody really is Chris Paul in the NBA today he is a one and only player but Cameron Payne is a true point guard and has the skill to play starting point guard in the NBA 
and has, is now averaging over 10 assists in the games that he's played since then. I believe he's played three games. The Suns are two and one in those games, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, without Chris Paul, without Devin Booker, for the Suns to come out and destroy the Portland Trailblazers, first of all, remarkably, and then beat the Knicks the way that they did. And then, of course, the Bucks. they did not win. The Bucks are a really great team, and the Suns are missing three of their best players. I think it shows, I think, the difference that Cameron Payne makes on this team. And it's just so great to have him back because he's so fun to watch, right? He's so fun. He's so fun. Um, I think uh, people get down on Cam sometimes. They, they talk about, you know, maybe not necessarily always playing with the pace that Chris Paul plays with. You know, we talk about Chris Paul and we talk about how you can never speed him up. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Cam's just done a really, really good job with that over the past week. Like, yes, sometimes the finishes, you know, he's not going to finish necessarily at quite the quite the same rate of, say, some of the most efficient guards in the NBA. In that Knicks game, for instance, took 16 shots uh, and only made six of them. But to get a career-high 16 assists, the penetration, like you said, beyond the first line of defense, that's obvious. Aaron Holiday's not going to give it to you. Alfred might give it to you, but he can't shoot, and he finishes even worse than Cam. Uh, Landry can't give it to you. The the difference is just so obvious. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I've I've loved watching him tonight as well. He was uh, really good. I guess we can transition over to the Bucks game now if you want. Um, but he had 23 points tonight on 19 shots. Well, only only do you have something else you want to say about the Knicks first? Well, not necessarily. But I I, I want to talk about the Bucks. But let's just save that for the second half of the podcast. That's fine. Uh, that's fine because that's relevant but i just want to quickly say well go ahead and finish your thoughts on Cameron Payne there well it's about the bucks game <laughs> so if okay. we're gonna we'll save, save it, it. We'll, we'll save, save it. it because i want to just i want to we have to talk about deandre Ayton, i think because deandre Ayton had since the last time we spoke one of the one of the worst games he's played uh against uh in the last game and then one of the better games i think he's played this season against the bucks and it's just been Really interesting to watch DeAndre in without Chris Paul. His shot profile is different. I mean, truthfully, he's just taking different kinds of shots with and without Chris Paul in the lineup. And I think there's got to be some uh, like element of him trying to figure it out a little bit, whether it be with Cameron Payne or if he's sharing the floor with Aaron Holiday. But he's still incredibly efficient but I just think with DeAndre Ayton, when he has a bad game, which against the Knicks, he had a bad game. It's never really just about the scoring. It's just, it stands out so much more, I think, than when other players have bad games. Devin Booker, for example, a lot of turnovers when he has a bad game, that stands out. But oftentimes with Devin Booker, he takes a lot of the same shots he's normally taking when he has a good game. They're just not dropping, and that results in a bad game. So, in a sense, the process looks exactly the same from a good game to a bad game with him sometimes. Whereas with DeAndre Ayton, it's just not boxing out. It's not sealing properly. It's not giving a second effort on defense. It's just there's so many things that can happen that mount up to it being incredibly frustrating. And of course, he comes back and he has a great game with Milwaukee, which at, th- at this point, I think with DeAndre Ayton, that's something that you can just expect, right? Like he has a bad game. He's probably going to come out and play really well in the next game. And, of course, he did. But what are your thoughts on that stretch from from DeAndre Ayton? It's, well, first of all, just to address what you just said, it's a well-demonstrated fact at this point, I think, from at one time we called him our official uh, Suns history correspondent. He's not in that role anymore, but still Cody Hunt. 
<laughs> on Twitter who um, <laughs> occasionally writes and, and does great job uh, a great job in general. Um, a well-documented fact from him, I remember he wrote an article last year that Aiton always does great in bounce-back performances. Mm-hmm. The games after he has, and I know, again, we talk about how it's not all about scoring, but these games where he seems to disappoint everyone on both ends of the spectrum, right? Bo- both the people who mm-hmm. notice the little things, the lack of effort, the the defensive kind of second chances, the uh, maybe poor ceiling or screening, just the little things. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the other people who will just notice when he has, for instance, if he has six or eight points, regardless of all the other stuff, uh, if he has six points and three rebounds, everyone's going to notice that. Everyone's going to consider that a bad game. Yeah. So when he has those sorts of games... He's bounced back typically very, very well, both from a statistical standpoint, which is what Cody has demonstrated, also from an effort standpoint. And I was not at all surprised to see him bounce back today. I'll be honest, I didn't expect him to play this well today, for <laughs> sure. I, I yeah. mean, without Chris Paul, it's just like like you said, I know the shot profile is mm-hmm. different. 30 points, uh, eight rebounds. I, I didn't expect that level of yeah. bounce back. Yeah, right. We... Um talked about it on our on our last the last time you and I spoke I don't remember if it was Patreon or or last episode but the possibility of DeAndre in getting 30 which he did in this game we talked about how Chris Paul affects that and how it's not always guaranteed that just because Chris Paul is out meaning means Aiton's going to get 30 and I think we saw that right 6 points in one game 30 points in the next it's not a guarantee but I think for it to happen for him it's going to look a lot like it did in this Bucks game, which means occasionally catching it away from the basket. Maybe a three, which he had in this game. is three for four since All-Star break <laughs> from three-point line, by the way. And um, and those floaters. I think those floaters that are oftentimes in the paint but not in the restricted area, I think that's going to be a huge part of his game because I just think it's a little bit harder for Cameron Payne to thread that needle to him when he's posted up away from the ball than it is for him to get it to him in that mid-range area when he's like hard attacking the basket the way that he does compared to Chris Paul, who will snake and sort of be in that mid-range area, which gives DeAndre in room at the rim. So that floater is going to be really important to him. And look, he's just it's so efficient right now. It's just kind of crazy. Outside, here, here's an example. Outside of the restricted area in the paint since since the All-Star break, he's 15 of 20 making 75% of his shots in that area. That means that's like that could get up to like a 13, 14 foot shot and it's just going in every single time. And it's just, you know, his offense has been great. I think, yes, that Knicks game I think was frustrating, but I think you just give guys that happens sometimes. You just got to give guys games like that occasionally. And I just want to point out that, yes, I understand why it's frustrating for Aiden because it just stands out. It's just such a bright, uh, mistake of a game at times when he plays like that and you know if you want to talk about Aiden having a bad game feel free to talk about that I think you should be able to talk about that I do think it's funny when people get defensive and say why aren't you bringing up every other bad game that every other player has played just because you want to talk about Aiden having a bad game um, but it's nice to see him bounce back and play really well against the Bucks. who really I mean he's just kind of dominated against just um, uh, so far super quickly on that i i sometimes i'm i gotta choose my words carefully here i i don't understand how the discourse online and maybe it's a sign that you know what like 
I'm following too many people. <laughs> Sometimes it's a thing where you're just you're too online, and that that's definitely a criticism I've had of myself in the past. So maybe this is a case of that. I just don't understand how the discourse became so toxic in a game that they won. Yeah, it, granted, it took the Cam Johnson um, hero ball at the end, but I just you know a, a team that was 51 and 12 after that game, and the fact that that performance took up like a, a large percentage of what I was seeing after the game. I thought it was really unfortunate. Again, I'm not one of those toxic positive people. I actually hate those toxic positive people who demands you to only say good things all the time about the team. I absolutely think you should be able to criticize Aiton, and I think the energy was off in that game. Um, but kind of the grand sweeping debates that were being unleashed that we've seen time and time <laughs> again, to be to be circling around that conversation, like yeah. choosing that time to do it again, uh, it it was was a little bit strange to me. It was a little bit odd. You, you know what um, it might be? I, I'm going to try and make some sort of connection here. Cameron Johnson being this good makes the Suns' uh, off season interesting. Yeah, it it yeah, really does. Right. It really yeah. does because here's the reality of it: the Suns can sign an extension for Cameron Johnson and sign DeAndre into a max this off season and next year. It doesn't really matter because Cameron Johnson has another year on his rookie deal. The year after that. When DeAndre Ayton's going to be on a max contract, Devin Booker's going to be on a max contract, DeAndre Ayton technically will have a bigger max contract if it's a max uh, than Devin Booker, Chris Paul's going to be making whatever 30-something million because he'll still be under contract, and then whatever Cameron Johnson signed kicks in, I doubt the Suns are going to do that. <laughs> I doubt they're going to do that. I really do. Just based on everything we know about Robert Sarver, that would be a surprise. So while this is not necessarily a problem as early as next year, it is something that the Suns could look to solve earlier, and that's as early as this offseason. And I think that's going to result in some arguments online, whether or not that's fair to anyone involved here. I just think that's something that could happen. And I look, I don't really want to spend a lot of time talking about that, but I guess I kind of understand where the line is being drawn for some people. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really want to be a part of it, I guess. Yeah, uh, some people worry too much. I don't know. I um, <laughs> yeah, we'll cross that. It's bridge a problem when, for later. Yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, I I'm totally prepared to have that discussion when we need to because eventually yeah. we'll have to address yeah. it. And I'll be honest, I share a lot of the same fears and reservations that you do about this front office, and especially if leadership does not change and its willingness to to invest uh, in roster personnel. Let's just say that. But you know, the, the, we're talking about a best case scenario season <laughs> right now like a best-case mm-hmm. scenario season. And if some of y'all are complaining after a game like that, I shudder to think what the discourse yeah. would be right now if this yeah. was, say, like, uh, uh, I don't know, like a 35-25 and 25 team or something. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, just imagine. So, um, yeah. yeah. It, relish this while you yes. can. The, again, I know we already kind of finished talking about that Knicks game and wrapping it up and everything, but, like, that was to go into that game with... Not really, in my opinion, like I didn't even really have expectations of winning that one necessarily. I wanted to win it, but I would have, if they had dropped that game, that wouldn't have been the end of the world to me either. And that was Mm -hmm. one of the most, maybe the most fun I've had as a Suns fan watching a game this entire regular season. Just try to enjoy, embrace the magic of minutes like that. Yeah. All all I'll say is John Najafi's a billionaire. Um, So yeah, Uh, we'll be right back. Let's talk more about the Bucks because I think the Bucks conversation is one of those conversations that's going to be really important for the potential finals rematch that could happen. So we'll be right back and we'll talk more about that.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Sam, the Suns are now, let's see, 51 and 13. So they played 64 games. What that that leaves 18 games left. They're now 3 and 3 since Chris Paul went out. If they go 500 the rest of the way, that's a 60 win season, so. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's a 60 win season. If they go slightly above 500, they could have the best sun season ever still that's within reach. But do you have any fear? The warriors now have been losing a lot lately. Do you have any fear of anyone catching the suns at this point? Or are we just good to go? <laughs> yeah, I think we're good to go. Um, I, so that's good. assuming I really want Devin Booker back this week. I think he will be back at some point this week. The suns play the magic on Tuesday, but afterwards they have some, they have some tough opponents coming up if yeah. you look at the schedule. So they're going to need Devin Booker back if they want to be competitive in some of these games, frankly. It was awesome to see what they did against the Bucks today, but they need they need Booker back. That being said, with the Warriors floundering to this extent uh, and Memphis taking control of the second seed, I think you're pretty safe in, in first yeah. place. They did say in the broadcast of this game that the Suns expect to have Devin Booker back by Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not guaranteed that, you know, it, when it comes to COVID, you have to have negative tests. Um, and even if within Booker's, a 24 hour period, even if Booker's back, frankly, like Cam Johnson plus CP three is still a big loss. So you, you want to get both of those guys back, not CP three, yeah. obviously, but you, you would like to get the other two back sometime this week. And then you, you're kind of rolling again at that point. You feel yeah. pretty good. Yeah. We haven't really even seen Cameron Payne and Devin Booker, like the combination of Cameron Payne, Devin Booker. And Cameron Johnson playing the way he is. The Suns could legitimately set the record for the best regular season record for the Phoenix Suns of all time if all of those guys are healthy, even if Chris Paul doesn't come back until the playoffs. So I just wanted to briefly touch on that for anyone who is concerned with the playoff race at this point. I think you could feel pretty good about it. So now we have seen... 
the Suns play the Bucks twice this season, right? We haven't seen three games, have we? Twice. Eastern Conference opponent, so only right. twice. Once at home, Suns healthy, Bucks relatively healthy, and the Suns ran away with that one. Blowout. Yeah, blowout, 30-point game or whatever it ended up being. And then this game without Cameron Johnson, without Chris Paul, without Devin Booker, ended up being a 10-point victory for the Milwaukee Bucks. It took... 44 points on a lot of difficult shots from Chris Middleton, who had an excellent game, continues to have excellent games against the Suns, even in a season where he's struggled. Let's just say also it took about 46 of those 48 minutes before they really ran away with it to make it a 10-point game until about the 46-minute mark. It was a two-point game. So, Yeah, and the Bucs, if you look at their record recently, you, you you can definitely make the case that Brooke Lopez was important to them. I think that Brooke Lopez definitely was important to them. They now have Serge Ibaka in that role, and they're playing well, but not as well as they were last year. And, yeah, you had some – let's start here. You had some thoughts on Cameron Payne and how he was playing against the Bucks. I'd like to hear what you were going to talk about when it comes to that. Um, yeah, I mean, campaign. He he was really good tonight. Honestly, I was going to uh, – I hate to do this, actually, because I, I have a greater point that I w- want to make sure we hit on eventually because I think it's more important ultimately to a series. To just address the, the campaign thing, uh, he took 19 shots tonight was what I was going to say earlier. Scored 23 points, 8 assists, had a good game, really felt his penetration, right? Only two free throws hate to be this guy Uh, I really try hard not to be this guy typically but I think it's important to bring it up in this case because when even the head coach is talking about it uh, there's a free throw disparity between the Suns and the Bucks tonight 29 free throw attempts for the Bucks 11 for the Suns and I think specifically uh, the the plays where you felt it were on some drives from campaign some drives from Landry Shamit uh, where they were being principally guarded by Drew Holiday uh, most of the times. So in other cases, some other players like Grayson Allen and whatnot. But um, that's where you kind of you felt a difference in how the game was being called. I don't think this was like the only reason that that made the difference between the two teams. But Monty Williams addressed this after the game. He complained about the officiating, which is something he typically doesn't do. Let me see if I can almost pull up. never. Do you have yeah, maybe the qu- this is the second time? Do you have the exact quote on you, or actually, I have it here. He said, um. It was from Gerald, our buddy Gerald Bourget, at Gerald Bourget on Twitter. He said, quote, the pattern that we're having to deal with from a free throw perspective is just getting old from Monty Williams. Um, he also noted that the Bucks hit a lot of tough shots, but he reiterated multiple times how frustrating the free throw discrepancy is every time these two teams play. He also mentioned the Suns need to be better about keeping teams off the uh, offensive glass. That's a huge issue that we could talk about for sure, Mike. But he pointed out the 29 to 11 free throw discrepancy, despite Phoenix only having one fewer shot in the paint in this game uh, against the Bucks. So, in relation to pain, I think there's other things we could talk about too that are gonna be honestly more impactful over a full seven game series. Well, what did you think about the officiating tonight? I'll I'll give you the floor. I'll be honest. I think that there was only a few calls or non calls that bothered me. Not, I don't think it was like overly jarring. Specifically on, there was a Landry Shamit drive where he was getting hit he and was bouncing around. Well, and yeah. here, here's what I'll just quickly say, because I said this on Twitter too. If you give me another seven-game series between the Suns and the Bucks, I know how shot frequencies work. I look at team shot charts. I know that if you're attacking the paint, you're going to get more free throws than if you're shooting floaters and, and taking 16-foot mid-range jump shots. So I fully am willing to admit that the Bucks deserve, and I this is true, 
they deserve on average to take more free throws than the Suns because they take more shots right at the rim. 29 to 11, though, that's not that much of a discrepancy. If you look at the team's uh, shot frequencies, and that's where I think it's it started to fall apart a little bit in this game. But I agree. It, it's not like just because it was 29 to 11 doesn't mean it should be 29 29 in order for it to be a fair game or 11 to 11. Yeah. But Maybe uh, 29 I, to 15, though, half as many free throws instead I of basically a third. Yeah. I understood Monty's frustration, and especially in a yeah. game where it comes down to a couple possessions like this, every point counts. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. So, yeah, there's a few of those. I think in general, Cameron Payne, look, the reality of is of it in this in game in particular is that stars tend to get the whistle and the Suns played without any stars. I mean, DeAndre Ayton is what he is, but he's definitely not officiated like a star. <laughs> no, no. <he's laughs> that's not. for sure. And the the Bucks played with three stars, really. And that's just yeah, that's kind of how it goes. Like because I'm, I'll just say it about Cameron Payne in general. He just not he does not get a good whistle. Ends up on the floor in a lot of his drives, which at times affects the Suns negatively. Um, but he doesn't get that whistle. Often doesn't get that whistle. So it hurts and 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 it sucks. But in this particular game, I think that Monty is bringing it up to affect any sort of potential future uh, meeting of these two teams. Right. So that the refs have a little bit more of an eye on it, because yeah, I think it's I think it's the right thing to say for him. And you you mentioned it; he rarely ever does this, almost never. Yeah, he's done um, it. He's done it, I think, once before. But yeah, it, yeah, just he's willing to eat the fine to get in their ear. Um, yeah. I want to talk about what I think my biggest takeaway is from the first two sure. games, and I think it relates to something nicely, actually, that you I know you've been talking about too. Mm-hmm. Um, so these two teams split these two games obviously we we have to draw a line in the sand somewhere of what exactly the difference is between these two teams compared yeah, to last context year I think, matters. Yeah. to convince maybe some of the people whether they're in the national media landscape or even local fans who maybe not have been watching as closely who knows um because if you're not paying close attention i think it would be easy to just say oh these are the same two teams as last year and after watching these two games it's very clear to me yes 70 80 percent of the players on the rosters are technically the same but in no way are these the the same two teams uh stylistically and actually like i i talked about this game at the very beginning of the episode just being riveting is the word i would use to describe it again like again i thought it was a really great honestly coaching battle between Monty Williams and Budenholzer today and I thought the fourth quarter of this game with the difficult shot making was so riveting that Mike I had to pee the entire fourth quarter and I just could not (laughs) I literally I I was glued to my screen even through the commercial breaks because I thought that basketball product that we were watching even regardless of the Suns loss was amazing it was absolutely amazing and I think if we got a finals rematch here some people will disagree with this take. They'll bring up ra- ratings, yada, yada, yada. But I think it would be great for the league because I think it's two really, really excellent basketball yeah. teams. Here's the biggest takeaway. Tell me what you think of this. Giannis Antetokounmpo in his two games versus Phoenix this season, I tweeted this out right after the game, is averaging 18.5 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, and 3 turnovers per game on 48% shooting from the field, 0% from 3 because he hasn't hit a 3, and 55% shooting from the free throw line. Um, Chris Middleton just scored 44 in a game. Drew Holiday has been the Bucks' second best player this year and has proven at times that he can absolutely clearly step up. So uh, it's not as simple as take Giannis out of the game, win the series. But for a variety of reasons, the Suns have found much better ways of uh, containing the two-time MVP in their two matchups this season. 
and obviously that's that's like the biggest thing right there's so there's a number of reasons there but i know you actually clipped uh i thought a couple of really good clips with explanations of how the suns were guarding Giannis in this game specifically would you like to talk more about that yeah i mean there was a few plays and they did it in the first and second half i noticed where uh the thing about the bucks that makes them so difficult and this is another point about the importance of Brooke Lopez and and if he comes back even if he's not himself I think it makes a difference to even them getting out of the east but they play Giannis and they play a center and that means that Giannis has another big guy on the floor that can help him rebound and often those guys can shoot threes that's Bobby Portis that's Serge Ibaka whoever they end up playing with him those guys are essentially centers on any other team with Giannis in there of course it makes it hard the Suns play one big and at times they do play two bigs against this team which we can talk about in a second but when they play one big, that means that if Aiton is on Giannis, the Suns probably are giving up some rebounds in that scenario. So what they've been doing in this game is they will start with some wings on the perimeter. And when when uh, Giannis is in the initial action for pick and rolls, they're switching on those pick and rolls. And this is something I didn't include in the video, but this is an important point to make. They're switching on those pick and rolls to try and stop any easy pick and roll dunks for Giannis when he's playing off the ball and then they're fronting Giannis because there's a smaller guy on Giannis Giannis is going to immediately try to post up against that play or get the ball to face up against that player because it's a smaller player when the wings are fronting that's Mikael Bridges that's Jay Crowder making the pass over the top as difficult as possible lob passes are the slowest passes and that means the Suns have time to bring DeAndre and back into the fold, who's essentially kind of playing in the middle of a zone mm-hmm. and on the guy that he's on in that scenario. And that allows him to run up and play the initial on-ball defense there. Mikael Bridges, Jay Crowder, two of the smartest defenders in the NBA. Mm-hmm. They will find the right guys to help out on in those scenarios so that Giannis doesn't have any easy passes And I thought that was a fascinating way to do it because that's essentially just guarding the pass with one guy and then guarding the on-ball action with another. So to not let him have the strength advantage once he has the ball in his hands. And I just thought that was fascinating. They didn't do that every time, right? That's just one of the looks they're giving Giannis in in this game. Yeah, And, you know, at times it worked, at times it didn't. Most of the time, I'll be honest, that specific action did work in that he either had a difficult isolation or just passed out of it which I think made a big difference for the Suns. Yeah, one thing I wanted to give Aiton credit for there is you talked about how he's playing in that zone, and when he's in that position where the wing is fronting Giannis and, and Aiton is just dropping back at the rim, he's he's really like playing that kind of free safety in a basketball version role where the thing that's so difficult about that is he has to, they call it 2-9-ing, the concept of avoiding a three-second defensive three-second violation, which means you have to continually be standing underneath the basket, but then resetting, putting both feet outside of the paint to avoid that violation. Um, If you're, I think this is really one of the biggest differences and little things that you can see in DeAndre Ayton in terms of having confidence in his team defensive ability now versus what he would have been able to manage two years ago. Because I can't imagine two years ago, Aiton would have been able to handle kind of that internal clock running in his head versus knowing exactly when to when to kind of lurch out at Giannis and be able to double him at precisely the right moment while also allowing the other three defenders, right? Because if Aiton is down low and you've got a wing fronting, then that means you've got another three defenders on the other side of the court who are having to zone up kind of against the four other Milwaukee Bucks offensive players. So everyone is constantly shifting in motion. 
the the yeah, truth yeah. is the truth is with that whole two nine in concept the bucks were able to abuse it a couple of times in this game they were able to wait until precisely the moment where Aiton was resetting his feet outside of the paint and okay that's when you pass to Giannis. by the time Aiton gets there it's too late and he's already at the rim but the difference between the couple of breakdowns at, at most that I counted in this game versus how many I think there would have been if you tried this earlier in his career was massive. And and I think his ability to take up space like that in a way where he plays straight up defense and does not foul. This was another game where DeAndre Ayton played a full game, finished with only two fouls with Giannis as his primary assignment. That's remarkable. And that should give you a lot of confidence about how you're able to mm-hmm. guard Giannis um, in a in a finals rematch, but again, like you said, that's only like that's less than half the equation here because they were using that kind of as a primary look on Giannis with their starters. But then you've got Bismack Biombo and Javale McGee, and that's a yeah, huge yeah. difference. Who who now play together? Apparently, <laughs> they played together, and they, and it works look, on defense. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. It was weird offensively, and it didn't work offensively. But yeah. it absolutely worked defensively. You had JaVale play a little bit with Aiton. You had Bismack play a little bit with Aiton. I think the key there is short spurts. You can't keep it running offensively for too long before it starts to fall apart. Maybe that would be different with Chris Paul, who knows, or Devin Booker, but at least with the guys you had on the court today that absolutely did not work offensively for long stretches. But like it works. You can see the length on the court and you can see the way that it physically bothered the Bucks and stopped them from getting into their offense early yeah. in the shot clock. Bismarck yeah. Piambo defensively was terrific. He had multiple steals playing up in the pick and roll early in the game in the first half. He did a really, really good job. And you watch those two guys, um, him and JaVale, just such a clear, obvious difference between uh, what they are versus what you had in Dario and Frank. Uh, in the finals last season. So between being able to bother them with the length of those two versus also being able to fall back on your one big lineups where it's just Aiton and like we were talking about, you kind of have the wings harass them instead. The Suns have a lot of options defensively to go at Giannis. And Giannis is an amazing player. He will adjust eventually. But through these two games, just the way you're guarding him and taking him out of the game has been really impressive. Yeah, and I, I... It's actually very similar to what the Warriors do with Draymond Green. Is It's kind of what the Suns are doing with DeAndre Ayton in that at times when when Giannis has the ball, if there's still a wing on him, which the Suns did play even possessions when Giannis had the ball with Jay Crowder or occasionally Mikael Bridges, but mostly Jay Crowder, Ayton essentially plays a zone like he'll just start guarding the rim and the rest of the Suns players have to kind of zone out too it's I guess you could call it a box in one I don't know if that's necessarily what it is in this scenario but uh, that allows Aiton to be the primary roaming help defender at the paint to help out or JaVale McGee I guess is another guy who was doing it and the Suns are so good at communicating in those scenarios like, I, I want to even just give credit specifically to Landry Shamit, who had another good game or one of his first good games in a while, 17 points on 14 shots, and did well with assists. He had five assists overall, and I thought he was pretty good in this game overall. But I also think that when you watch what the Suns are doing defensively, Landry Shamit does a really good job of Xing out. And once again, for those who are wondering what Xing out means, that's essentially when. Uh, a help defender comes off a shooter. Say there's a shooter in the corner and a shooter at the wing. Landry Shamit's guarding the shooter at the wing. The help defender comes off the corner. 
Landry Shamit has to sort of drift between those two shooters at the three-point line to ensure that if the pass goes out to either one, he's equidistant between those two guys and able to properly defend whoever catches the ball. And he does a good job, and the whole Suns team does a good job. And this Bucks team is such a great example. You said it earlier of a coaching battle between two coaches in that any mistake on that specific thing, Xing out in that scenario, leads to a wide open three. Because the Bucks are so, so good and they have so many smart players that they will take advantage of it. And they did at times in this game, of course. Uh, but the Suns are really good at finding ways to guard multiple guys uh, in that scenario with the guys out in the perimeter, as well as basically shrink the court in the middle of the floor to make sure that Giannis has no easy lanes to the basket. And look, I'll say this about Giannis too. The Suns have done well defending him in the regular season games this season. There's no guarantee that any of that will translate to the playoffs when everything is sort of set and the opponents are set. But it does make me feel a little better that the Suns have, they've clearly thought a lot about it. <laughs> they have a lot of different ways to attack him. They have different guys they're going to throw at him. And I think it's going to be fascinating if they meet again. Another thing that I think uh, we need to address when it comes to the Bucks is just, you know, we talked about the Suns being a little bit different. The Bucks roster is different. And they miss Brooke Lopez. I think you addressed that earlier. They also miss P.J. Tucker. And they miss yes. Pat. They uh, miss Pat Connaughton as Who well. Who could be back. Yeah. Who could be back. Yes, could be back for the finals. But um, especially in this game was very clear. And they never... They they um, tried to replace or are trying to replace Brooke with Serge. I don't think it's quite the same. Um, I thought Serge played well in this game, but I don't think it's quite the same. They the defense. Never, Brooke they, Lopez is a really great defender. Yes, absolutely. They never gave an honest chance um, or an honest try at replacing PJ, and I really think it's going to hurt them. And I think you look at the difference between PJ played 30 minutes per game in the finals last year. Connaughton, who again could be back, but he also played like 30 minutes per game in the finals this year. If you replace those guys with Grayson Allen this year, which is kind of looking like what it's shaping up to be, I don't really see it. You know, like I, he's not a bad player. I, I think it's very easy to shit on Grayson Allen because he's, yeah. you know, kind of a terrible person on the basketball yeah. court at least. Yeah. Um, but no, just in terms of his basketball ability is much, much lighter than either of those guys. The, the scariest thing about Grayson Allen is what sort of reckless play Yes. He's going to no, no, do no, for sure. in any individual game. But I'm imagining like if Grayson Allen's going to be a 25 to 30 minute per game guy for them in the playoffs, I'm salivating at the idea of, first of all, CP can easily hide on him on defense. That's not an issue whatsoever. And offensively, that's that's a matchup they like. Book's going to get that switch. They're going to find a way to target him. It's not going to be to the extent of a Michael Porter Jr. or a Luke Kennard. He's, he's not like that. But that's a matchup they like, I'll tell you right now. And it's definitely um, a, a big gap between that versus the P.J. Tucker matchup last year, which I yeah. don't think the Suns like, ever really successfully exploited in that series. Yeah, yeah. not to mention his ability to get offensive rebounds from wherever he was on the court. Uh, he was just one of those guys that can hunt down the ball. So we got the Bucks. Right, the Nets just lost to the Sixers again. The Nets are still in sort of a free. I'm sorry, the Nets lost lost to the Celtics. The Nets are still in sort of a free fall. Uh, you know, they <laughs> they literally are within striking distance of being out of the play in. How funny would it be, by the way, if both the Lakers and the Nets don't even make the play in tournament, Hilarious. which is on the table? 
Very it's literally on the table. It, it would take Washington to be good, so it's not unlike, it's not likely. But so we got the Nets. Okay, the Celtics are on a tear. The Celtics are really good lately. The Bulls are still the Bulls. The Bulls will be healthier by the time the playoffs come. And then, of course, there's the 76ers. The 76ers now are very good. <laughs> they have James Harden. They have the leading, probably, MVP candidate so far this season, along with a former MVP in James Harden. Do you still think the Bucks? It's assuming the Suns make the finals, which is of course in no way guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, but if they are there, do you still think the Bucks are the most likely opponent for them? Man, I don't think that anyone on this planet could give you like yeah. a truly confident answer at this point. And I didn't even mention the Heat, who the Suns are playing soon. But the, the Heat, Heat and the by best the way, coach, and just keep winning. Who the Suns are going to play on a back-to-back? Uh, likely shorthanded. It would be really nice if they won that game because they lost. Uh, the Heat kicked our ass earlier in the season, so it would be really nice to build some confidence by beating them. I'm not super high on their ability to do that this week, particular week just because of circumstances, so we'll see. Uh, it's going to be a bloodbath. There's, there's no way, no way around it. The Eastern Conference playoffs is going to be a bloodbath, and potentially, if everything works out kind of in the NBA's favor, could be an all-time great. Uh, playoffs, at least on that side yeah. of the bracket, because some of the potential matchups that you have there are just amazing. Um, I'll say the Bucks, as a specific matchup for the Suns, are still one of the teams that I fear the most, if not maybe the team that I fear the most, because I think they've got the combination of continuity, of top-level talent, and uh, and shot-making, as well as defensive ability. They're not without flaws, but they, they kind of have it all, um, and, and they're vetted in a way that some of these other teams aren't vetted. Um, that being said, Miami's right there with them. Philly's right there with them. Um, Boston's a fun story. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. really... I don't, and they're killing teams. They're, I know. I still don't really believe it in my heart it's of weird. hearts. It's weird. Yeah, it's hard. Man. I still don't really believe I, I it in my it. heart of hearts, but but they're a fun story. Chicago's a fun story. They're another team. I don't really believe it in my heart of hearts. They feel more like a conference finals team to me than a finals team. But who knows? Yeah, the Celtics in particular, it feels a little, I don't know. I, I want to say that it feels kind of gimmicky because one of the main changes they made was putting Robert Williams on wings, which I think, I don't know. Like, is that going to be sustainable in the playoffs against some of the best wings in the NBA? Or is that yeah. something that can only work in the regular season when people aren't game planning and preparing for it in the same way that they would in the playoffs, but they still have Tatum who's, you know, on an MVP like tear. He's not going to win it, but like, that's how good he's been playing lately. And of course, Jalen Brown and, you know, Derek White's pretty good. They have Marcus smart. Like they got a lot of players on that team and still Al Horford who's playing relatively well, but yeah, it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating playoffs. But yeah, that I think I would say the bucks are still the most likely opponent, but like nothing is guaranteed in that playoffs. Yeah. And, and, and I will say, I think the Bucks are, so the Bucks are the team that give me the most pause as a Suns fan. And yet, the how the Suns have played the season series this year against the Bucks gives me a lot more confidence in that matchup yeah. than I, I'll, I'll just be honest, than I had six months ago. When the Suns finished their entire, and their entire offseason was picking up JaVale McGee and trading a first round pick for Landry Shamit, I was iffy. <laughs> about whether that truly addressed the needs that the the stuff they really needed um, to beat the Bucks in a rematch. But now that I've seen, you know, those guys, obviously they make a difference. But now that they've picked up, they reacquired Torrey Craig and Aaron Holiday has been good. They picked up 
Bismack Biombo, who's been fantastic. Yeah, and they've gotten huge. they've gotten the absolute required internal development out of a few of the uh, supporting cast pieces. DeAndre Ayton's hook shot, Jay Crowder's floater, Cam Johnson's uh, willingness to drive to the basket, Mikhail Bridges' mid-range jumper. There are skills that these guys have beyond just the number one and two um, in Chris Paul and Devin Booker where, you know, there were games in the finals where the Suns couldn't score more than 80 points. And I feel much more confident about that not happening this year if they were a rematch. Yeah, yeah so. I agree. I think I agree. Although you never know. We'll see you how the know. Bucks are playing by the time the playoffs start. I'd want to give a quick shout out to the passing of Mikael Bridges and Jay Crowder. In these last few games, Mikael Bridges still averaging four assists a game. Jay Crowder, 3.5 assists. We'll get to Aaron Holiday more later since we're already rounding out to about an hour here. But Aaron Holiday has also been good. Do you have anything else you'd like to jam in? <coughs> Excuse me. At the end of this podcast. <laughs> no, I think uh, judging from from your throat's reaction right there, we're uh, <laughs> we're all set for this week. Uh, it's going to be another tough week. Let me let me just pull up the schedule real quick. I know Orlando. I said, we're doing okay. the Florida trip. Right? Okay, so it's Orlando, Miami, and then Toronto. On Friday, the other Florida team last year was Toronto. Um, but yeah, that's that is a tough week. You're absolutely right. Orlando, I think, is obviously the easiest game there, and yeah. the Suns should be favored in that game. Totally, uh, even without uh, the players that you know, maybe Devin Booker plays, maybe he doesn't. But if Cameron Johnson's back, I think they're favored. If Cameron Johnson's not back, maybe it's pretty close. But Toronto, Miami pesky. on the second night of a back to back, even yep. with Devin Booker, I don't know. Like that's yeah. a Miami Heat favored game there, and and, and then Toronto, pesky. yes, Toronto, you never know with Toronto. Yeah. Toronto has always played the Suns, at least for the the current iteration of Toronto for the past few years. They've always yeah. played the Suns really well. A smart coach, a bunch of long guys that play on that team. So yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, but of course, we will be back with another Patreon episode, likely after the Miami Heat game. If you'd like additional content from us, sign up at patreon.com slash the timeline. That includes watch parties for the Toronto game this Friday and the Chicago game next Friday they have been incredibly fun so if you'd like to join us for a watch party just even just try one you could try one for three dollars and uh, sign up on our patreon and check one of them out if you're watching at home but we appreciate you guys and we will be back very soon get the focus. Down. Get the yeah, you down. just gotta focus get the ball oh no way! No way! Oh my God! Oh! Stop it right now! Oh, Cam Johnson! Did he wow. get it off? Did he get it off? Wow. Yes, Did he get it. it off? He got it off, guys. Oh my he got God! It off. A no defining way! Oh my Johnson! Oh my God! Oh my God!